Hello, this is Pastor Luke, and you are listening to the Henderson MB Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this week's sermon. Our mission is to grow disciples and multiply churches who will glorify God and transform communities. For more information on our church, visit hendersonmbchurch.com. Jen, and then she's going to give us a little bit of an update. So, Heavenly Father, thank you so much just for the great work that Jen is doing, and we are looking forward to hearing more about it both this morning and then later on in this afternoon. Uh, Lord, and as she shares and gives us an update as to how you are working, um, God, we are um, just so excited to, to hear about that, Lord. And we do pray just a continued blessing and protection upon her and upon her ministry. So thank you, Jesus. Amen. Good morning. It is, I was joking with my mom that it's great to be in a place where they spell my last name right. So it's good to be here. Um, I'm uh, Jen Goosen. I've worked with Campus Crusade or Crew for the last five years um, in Central Arkansas at the University of Central Arkansas. Um, The pictures showing are all from Beach Project, which was um, a 10-day sports camp for collegiate athletes um but i'll get into that a little in a little bit but um yeah i got to so i've been working with um average students for the last four or the first four years and then just really miss being a part um, of the athlete culture um and knowing athletes personally not just yelling at the huskers from my couch but just really connecting with them on a personal level and so um, last fall got to um, pioneer athletes in action which is crews athletic ministry at the University of Central Arkansas Um, and so I got to lead a Bible study with athletic training students which was my major um, and that was just really cool to be able to cast vision for them and their influence when they see so many athletes every day and how that can have a direct impact um, on the athlete's um, day, whether they're injured or rehabbing or stuff like that. Um, I also got to um, lead a beach volleyball um, team Bible study and softball team Bible study. Um, And yeah, both very different dynamics, Um, so it's always fun to see different personalities on each team, and, um, but it was really cool because the softball team, half the team attended every week, Um, and it was just cool because it was mostly during their season. Their season is so long, um, starts in about January practicing and goes through till May, Um, and they would faithfully come every week for an hour, um, give up an hour of their time to spend in the word and spend with their teammates. And um, yeah, it was awesome. Um, Especially when they have like batting practice, they have so many practices, different types of practices. It's crazy. I'm glad I didn't play softball, but um, yeah. But I got to, um, in my last newsletter, I wrote about um, Beach Project coming up and ask you guys to pray for Rachel Oakley and Tyler, three of the softball girls, um, that I really wanted to come. And at that time, they had all committed to coming to Beach Project, which is this 10-day sports camp for um, athletes in Texas, Oklahoma, Arkansas, and Louisiana. Um, And it is equipping them in five biblical principles of faith and sport So who or what are you playing for? Who's your audience? What motivates you? Um, How are you engaging with the Holy Spirit during your game? How are you growing? Um, How are you engaging suffering in your sport um, and in life? And then who's um, victory beyond competition? So are you living for your kingdom or are you living for God's kingdom? And what does that look like? And so we got to train them in these um, principles, and yeah, uh, Tyler, I was not going to believe she was going to be there until I saw her in Alabama, so she made it, um, despite their flat tire on the way there, 
but um, she, yeah, she had a great time and was already thinking of who she got, who she would get to share the gospel with on her team when she got back, and so really awesome. Um, but yeah, I'd love to talk more about that this afternoon if you can make it. Like, there's so many more stories to tell about them specifically, but um, there is a really cool story um, about three, that includes like three girls at Beach Project. Um, we had athletic trainers come because they had to care for the athletes during the different like competitions and stuff like that. But there is a girl named Kenzie who hadn't probably been to church or held a Bible in like seven years or something, um, just really had a hard story. Um, but one of my friends on staff, Hannah, um, she's at the University of Texas, she befriended Kenzie right away and they shared their testimonies together and just kind of made a solid bond. And, and a day or two later, Hannah felt like God was telling her to give Kenzie her Bible. And so Kenzie's like, what are you doing? Why are you giving me this? Um, but Hannah's like, oh, just God told me to, so here you go. I don't need it. Well, it has like all of Hannah's notes in it, you know, like highlights and everything. And so, yeah, so a few days later, um, there is a like a 15-hour competition, multi-sport competition that I'll explain more later. But the winning team gets, they got, um, new Bibles and Hannah's team won. And so you would think, oh, that's an awesome story right there. You know, like Hannah gave her Bible away and then God gave her a new Bible. Um, but it involves a third athlete, um, Romay, who is from the Netherlands. And she didn't come into camp a believer. She, it's not what her culture accepts. And, um, she goes to school in Conway at a different college, and there's many women's groups and prayer groups praying for her, and she came to the camp, and all week just, like, talked to probably every other athlete there about, like, spiritual things and just really wrestled with um, her faith and, like, is this something that she wanted to do? And then one night she was talking with Kenzie, um, the recipient of the Bible, and Kenzie, I mean, doesn't remember where anything is in the Bible, um, but happens to have it there and opens it up to Romans and ends up leading Romay to Christ. So just like a really crazy story. Um, and so it was just really evident during those 10 weeks that the Lord was very present and working in athletes' lives and just how excited they were to learn how to share their faith and like already brainstorming and dreaming up what it could look like on their own teams back home. And Heavenly Father, thank you for orchestrating this morning. Thank you for the gift of having Ali return and share and uh, for the ministry that he and his wife, uh, Veronica, are involved in. And um, Lord, we want to approach this morning uh, with open uh, and tender hearts uh, to your working. Amen. And so the pastor announced that the schedule will go over. If you have to leave, that's okay. If you have plans and you have to go. Um, I do pray if you do stay, the Lord would make it worth your while. And we're going to talk about something interesting today. Last time I was here, many of you got to hear my personal testimony. How many of you got to hear that if you raise your hand? Okay, a good number of you. I won't be going over that again today, but if you wanted to hear it, we have a stack of CDs on that back table where you guys keep materials, free materials. That stack of CDs is for you. It's free of charge. Grab a copy. It's an audio CD. You can play it in your car. That has my testimony on it. We won't talk about that so much today. Um, I will say very briefly, in the summer of 2003, I, had I was actually a lifeguard on the beach during that summer. I was a Muslim. And I had Christians witness to me, and they were with crew. So kind of an interesting thing that the Lord has done here today. And so today we're going to talk about dreams and visions is what we're going to talk about. And that's a picture of a Quran there. And uh, there's a Quran on the screen, but we're going to be reading out of Acts 10 for today's message. And what could the 
could the Quran and could Islam possibly have to do with the book of Acts? And what does this have to do with you today? And what's the practical takeaway? We're going to look at Acts chapter 10. The life of Cornelius is very similar to a life of a Muslim today. And to Cornelius, the Lord would appear in a dream and a vision. Now, how is Cornelius similar to Muslims? Well, what do Muslims believe? And we're going to go through very quickly. We spend a very little amount of time covering what Muslims believe. This is to equip you so when you run into Muslims out there, you, don't, you, can't, you can no longer say to yourself, I'm not talking to this person. I, don't, I have no idea what they believe. Right? So we're going to do away with that excuse. What do Muslims believe? Now we're going to look at the book of Acts and see the story of Cornelius. In fact, I'll read from the scripture first here. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian regiment. A devout man and one who feared God with all his household, who gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. That's verses 1 and 2 of Acts 10. Okay, the first thing Muslims believe, Muslims believe that there's no God but Allah and that Muhammad is his prophet. Now, Allah in Arabic means God. The difference is we know the only way to know God is through Jesus Christ, his son. That's the big difference, right? And that is a strange omission in all the Quran. The one thing to save people from their sins is glaringly absent in the Quran. Whose part is it to preach that gospel? Ours, right? Now, how can I qualify Cornelius to be similar to a Muslim in order to show you that God is doing dreams and visions among Muslims today as you go out and share the gospel with them? Well, the first thing we know about Islam is they pray that God is Allah and Muhammad is his prophet. Go to the next image. They have to say this. Here's a young man saying it. Um, It's called the Shahira. They say You know, there's no God but Allah, Muhammad is his prophet, and that's how they become a Muslim. Pray for this young man's salvation and go to the next image. And that's even what's written on many Muslim buildings. When you see that writing and it looks scary, you're not sure what it means, it's usually that first pillar of Islam. That's the first of five pillars of Islam. We can't expect Cornelius to believe in what the Muslims would call Allah. Neither can we expect Cornelius to believe in Muhammad. Muhammad would be born some, six, some 500 years after these pages. Muhammad would be born in 579 AD. This is the first century church. But if Cornelius believes in God and fears him, he has qualified for the first pillar of Islam. And you know what it said? We actually read it. It said in verse 2, he's a devout man and one who feared God with all his household. Muslims believe you are to do this on an individual basis. And here Cornelius has not only feared God, but he's done it with his whole household. Cornelius exceeds the first pillar of Islam. This is interesting because this is some 2,000 years ago and Islam is happening today. This is going to be very relevant to what God is doing today among Muslims today. And so to save them, doing today to save them. Go to the next image. The second pillar of Islam is to pray five times a day. Muslims take it very seriously. Next image. It doesn't matter where they are or what they're doing. They will stop, they'll drop, and they'll pray at that point in time. And go to the next image. Everyone is asked to do it. Everyone's response. There's a young little boy, cute boy, praying. And so... Muslims pray five times a day. Did you catch what it said about Cornelius? It said, who gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. Not five times a day, always. Cornelius has exceeded the second pillar of Islam. What's the third pillar? Go to the next image. It's to give alms to the weak and to the poor. To help the weak and to help the poor is what Muslims do as the third pillar of their religion. Cornelius has given alms. In fact, it told us who gave alms generously to the people. He has not given alms just to the weak and to the poor. Go to the next image. There's a poor woman. He hasn't just given alms to the weak and to the poor. He's given it to the people. Cornelius has exceeded the three first pillars of Islam. And we're only on Acts 10 verse 2. He's met three pillars in two verses and exceeded them. He's averaging more than one pillar a verse. It's pretty amazing. What is God telling us? It's amazing to me how God's word is ever relevant. You know, and and Muslims, they cover their head and they have these doctrines that they do. They believe they're earning their salvation. 
I, I believe the head covering actually came some 600 years before Islam would ever be. It's in our epistles in 1 Corinthians. So some of you might be wondering if my wife's a Muslim, she covers her head. She's not. She's not a Muslim. She's a Christian. She does that out of humble submission to 1 Corinthians 11. And so Muslims do it to try to earn their salvation. Right? You can't do earn your salvation. You've got to believe and be saved, right? So Cornelius has met three pillars of Islam. He's done, 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 but he's not saved, right? I heard it well said. It said all the, some theologians said all the religions of the world, they fall into two categories. Do, do, do. And then there's Christianity. Done. Finished. Believe, Right? Right? And so Islam is a do religion. And so go to the next image. What is the fourth pillar of Islam? Is to fast during the season of Ramadan. How many of you know Ramadan just ended? This is very relevant. Your Muslim neighbors and Muslims in the next town and in the cities over. And, and oftentimes you see many Muslims in Walmart. We say Walmart is a mission field. You see them in Walmart very often. Your Muslim neighbors and, and fellow shoppers, your Muslim neighbors were just diligently doing the Cornelius life. Was Cornelius a faster? Was he fasting? Verse 30 of chapter 10 says, So Cornelius said, Four days ago, I was fasting. Cornelius, by his own mouth, Acts 10, verse 30, So Cornelius said, Four days ago, I was fasting until this hour and at the ninth hour. And he goes on to tell Peter what he saw. Cornelius is fasting before the season of Ramadan is ever instituted by Muslims today. He has met the fourth pillar of Islam. Now, it's really hard to find pictures of people fasting. You're probably wondering, why is that boy eating? Go to the next image, and here's another picture of him eating. I, I looked for images about Muslims fasting, and this is what I found, <laughs> right? I think he gets away with it because he's cute. But I remember being a Muslim, I would have been in trouble. And my wife pointed out something to me because she witnesses to Muslims too. She said, he's even doing it during the daylight hours. And that's exactly when Muslims are not supposed to eat. They're supposed to fast from sunup to sundown. When the sun is down, they eat, okay? And that's what they do. So that's the holy season of Ramadan that Muslims believe in. Your Muslims' neighbors were just doing this. They were fasting. They were praying. They were just doing all these things. And there's one pillar of Islam left. Go to the next image. It's to make a pilgrimage. Oh, that's, a, that's what fasting really looks like. The Muslims just take it easy during Ramadan. They take it very easy. Go to the next image. And then it's time to break the fast. And the next image, they get together. There's tons of food. They're hungry. Look at the boy on the right. Look how hungry he is. His mouth is open already. <laughs> and go to the next image. They sit down and they eat. And they break the fast. Okay, next image. For the fifth and final pillar of Islam, okay, is to make a pilgrimage to the city of Mecca. The Muslims call it a holy city of Mecca. Go to the next image. They gather there and there's this black Kaaba. And they go and they kiss that rock. Now that same area... At the time of Cornelius and thereafter, even until the time of Muhammad coming, there was not one God worshipped there. There were many multiple pagan gods. We can't expect Cornelius to make a pilgrimage to a city that had pagan gods worshipped. Even the Muslims, your Muslim neighbors would agree, at the time of Cornelius in Mecca, if gods were worshipped, there was not one God, it was several gods. Many, much like the Greeks, much like the religion Cornelius was dealing with at his time among the Romans and the, and the Greeks in the area. And so there you have it. Muslims make a pilgrimage to Mecca. Now, what about this? The, would Cornelius make a pilgrimage to Mecca? No, we can't expect him to do that. It's a pagan city. But what if, and you can point this out to your Muslim friend, what if Cornelius has made a pilgrimage to a holy city? At the time of Cornelius, and I believe to this day there's only one holy city, Jerusalem. Now, true, there's a city to come, right? For here we have no continuing city, but we seek the one to come, the scriptures tell us. But I'm talking about the earthly city that is here already. It's Jerusalem. What if Cornelius had made a pilgrimage to Jerusalem? He has qualified even for the fifth pillar of Islam. Look at this. Look at what it said. We actually read over it together. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian Regiment. He belongs in Italy, but he's there in coastal Judea. The city is called Caesarea. In coastal Israel, Judea, 
but belonging in Italy. He's made a pilgrimage to the nation. But what about the city of Jerusalem? Well, later on in Acts 10, Cornelius' men will tell Peter about Cornelius. And they said in verse 22, Cornelius, the centurion, a just man, one who fears God and has a good reputation among all the nation of the Jews. If Cornelius is in Caesarea, stationed there on military orders, you could say. Maybe he requested to go there, I don't know. But how does he have a good reputation among all the nation of the Jews? That's not the internet age. Cornelius didn't work up a good reputation by getting on his Twitter account, right? And, and posting, you know, selfies of him with the Roman troops. That's not how he got a good reputation. They didn't have that during that time. Social media is our day. At that day, if you wanted a reputation, you had to leave your house. You had to get out there and travel. There is a strong probability Cornelius has gone to the whole nation of the Jews because he has a good reputation there. In fact, one theologian pointed out to me, he said, Ali, the procurators and the Romans and the consuls and the governors, they would go at least once a year into Jerusalem. There is a high likelihood Cornelius had made a pilgrimage to the only holy city which is Jerusalem, 2,000 years ago from today and 600 years before Islam would ever be, this man of antiquity has met all five pillars of Islam, a religion today that has 1.7 billion, if I'm quoting that correctly, 1.7 billion followers and of whom to be witnessed are less than three Christians per one million Muslims. The Muslims today are in pretty much every country. And for every one million of them, we have three Christian workers. Now, you are educated and you're in the top 1% of Christians in your knowledge of Islam. Just based on what you've heard. You know the five pillars now. And don't worry, if you go to talk to a Muslim and you forget... You can ask them. Say, ah, I remember three pillars. Can you tell me the other two? And now you have a dialogue about a spiritual topic, right? You don't have to be an expert on Islam to witness to your Muslim neighbor. Be an expert on Christianity is what we're told. And that's all you need. Listen, though, this is very interesting. The life pattern of Cornelius is the same life pattern of 1.7 billion plus people today. How does God work in the Cornelius life? And it's exactly how he's working today among Muslim people groups. We did verse 1 and 2 primarily for Cornelius. And we touched on verse 22, that he had a good reputation, and verse 30 for fasting. But after verse 1 and 2 of Acts 10, right after it finishes telling us, and Anne prayed to God always, says about the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision, a vision, an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius. And when he observed him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? So he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have come up for a memorial before God. Now, send men to Joppa. Send for Simon, whose surname is Peter. One of the best things you can tell your Muslim neighbor is to go to them Meet them, befriend them, even strangers that you re run into in Walmart. Go up to the Muslims you meet, say, are you Muslim? Oh, thank God, I'm a Christian. I've been praying to God for a Muslim friend. Can you say that, right? We're going to pray together today, so it won't be a lie when you say it to them, right? And if they tell you, why have you been praying for a, for a Muslim friend? Say, someone, Ali, told me I need more Muslim friends, okay? And leave it at that, leave it at that. Right? You don't have to tell them I became a Christian. Right? And so just witness. But listen, you can go up to your Muslim neighbor, even Muslim strangers, and tell them, are you a Muslim? You just finished Ramadan, right? Well, I'm praying for you. You know what I'm praying? I'm praying that your prayers, my Muslim friend, and your alms and your fastings would come up as a memorial before God. Oh, Muslims would love to hear you say that. And it's very scriptural. It's right out of the Bible. The angel said it to Cornelius.
But in doing all these things, Cornelius lacked. And 1.7 billion people in doing all these things, one thing they lack. The angel says, now send men to Joppa, send for Simon, whose surname is Peter. He's lodging with Simon, a tanner whose house is by the sea. He will tell you what you must do. Brothers and sisters, this is the part of the scripture that amazes me. Cornelius has been seeking. His prayers and his alms have pleased God. It's come up as a memorial before God. He's yet unsaved. An angel comes. Why does he not preach the gospel? That angel, can you imagine? This, this creature, this angel, this spiritual being created in eternity past. Can you imagine the sermons he has heard? Samuel addressing the Israelites, going through all the scriptures. Moses addressing the Israelites. Can you imagine the sermons this angel's heard? He could just regurgitate them word by word, I imagine. And yet crickets on the preaching of the gospel. Silence. He says, now, send men to Joppa and send for Simon, whose surname is Peter. And he says, he will tell you what you must do. God could have given it to the angels to preach, but it's given to you and to me. Cornelius had a dream and a vision. We are hearing this so often from Muslims, and I'm sorry, even Muslim group missionary peoples. So that's Christians in the mission field evangelizing Muslims. We've been hearing it for years, but now we're hearing it so much. It's all the buzz in the mission field to Muslim people groups. Two words, dreams and visions. I can't go somewhere without someone telling me, Ali, dreams and visions. And I say, where did you hear? Oh, I heard it from this missionary as a part of this missions group. Oh, another group. And I'm hearing it from this group and that group and this group and that group and this church and this denomination and this missionary and that group. And even from the mouth of Muslims that are coming to faith. This is happening all over the world. You know what's interesting? If you pick up and you study historical revivals, if you pick up a book, um, I'm, I'm going I'm to try to quote the book. It's called Revival of People Saturated with God. The book is by a man named Brian H. Edwards. He writes articles for Answers in Genesis. He's a brother in the Lord, dear brother in the Lord. He, he went and he has researched historical revivals of past. He pulled from the records of everything he could find, and he put in revival into topical chapters and prayer and repentance, holiness, and everything that happens and follows and, and comes, even precedes a revival, including prayer. And then he's got this one chapter called The Unusual, Error, Excess, and the Unusual in Revival. And in that small chapter, there's a small sub-chapter talking about dreams and visions. And he says in there that it's very rare to revivals. It's extremely rare to hear about dreams and visions. When it happens, it'll be a certain revival that's experiencing it in a certain area, and in the, the dreams and visions will be relegated to that specific area is what it typically happens. In the Kasi Hills in India, in, in the 1905 revival, if I'm quoting correctly, dreams and visions were common. You know what's amazing? That's not what we're hearing anymore, that it's rare and that it's relegated to these borders of one country or another. What we're hearing is that Muslims everywhere of every tribe, tongue, and nation are having dreams and visions like Cornelius had that lead them to the knowledge of the, the truth in Christ Jesus. Do you know what that means? That means we're living in the last days. It was the promise of God by the mouth of the prophet Joel in Joel chapter 2, repeated again in the church age by Peter in Acts chapter 2, Joel 2, Acts 2, here's the promise. But this is what's spoken by the prophet Joel, Acts 2, verse 16. And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out of my spirit on all flesh. 
Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. And your old men shall dream dreams. Now, I don't like to get involved in eschatology and end times very much. I talk about it, but sadly, there's a lot of division there. So I don't like to, I don't like to walk there a lot. Some people believe that that's relegated exclusively to the millennial kingdom. Well, why is Peter quoting it in Acts 2? And furthermore, why are we hearing dreams and visions today? There comes a point where we have to stick our head out of the ground and hear what God is doing. And if Jesus Christ, if Jesus Christ, the captain of our salvation, is saving Muslims today through dreams and visions, we need to get off the bench like Peter gets up and play with the captain of the team. How does Peter play? He shows up to Cornelius' house and he preaches the gospel. And this is what I'm going to report to you today. We are hearing today that more Muslims have come to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior in the last 20 years than in the entire history of Islam combined. It's enough to give you goosebumps what God is doing in your day. And I am hearing the stories of dreams and visions accompanying the preaching of the gospel. And what's amazing is as I hear these things, I'm emailing different people. And I emailed one brother who's involved. He has his hand in many different mission organizations. He's got his ear to the train track, so to speak. He's listening in on many different reports from the mission field. I said to him, listen, what percentage of Muslims that are getting saved are having a dream and a vision that is a part of their salvation story, like Cornelius. And this brother wrote me back. He's a brother who serves in South Dakota, not far from you. He evangelizes Muslims, he and his wife. And he wrote me back and he said, Ali, I am hearing right now that it is so common for Muslims to have a dream or a vision that is from our God that it, I would say it is most of the Muslims that are coming to Christ. It's somewhere north of 50% by his assessment. That is staggering. We're going from dreams and visions being rare in historical revivals to being commonplace up to 50% or more of Muslims having a dream and vision coming to Christ and that it's no longer relegated to any border. It's happening in every nation. How many of you have heard of Nabil Qureshi? Nabil was a Muslim apologist, got saved came to Christ, preached the gospel, and defended the faith of Jesus Christ, even to Muslims. He died last year. He went home to be with the Lord. His salvation story includes two dreams and visions. We're hearing about these things. Now, I need to say this. It's very important we say this. We must test every spirit to know if it is from God. You can't just have a dream. You know, sometimes in the West, we have a dream, and we wake up, we're like, oh, too much pizza and, and soda, you know? And what was that I dreamed, right? We're to test every spirit to know if it is from God. Why? Because John tells us not every spirit is from God, brethren. Test every spirit. Well, how do you test these dreams and visions? You ask the Muslim, or even if you had one, you ask yourself, what did I see? And then you begin to examine the scriptures and see what the scripture says about what you saw. I'm here to report to you today that every dream and vision we're story we're hearing is usually different. With one exception, I heard one story of a village in which some 200 Muslims had the same vision of Jesus Christ in one night. An amazing story. Outside of that, we're hearing that all the stories are unique. This guy has a dream and a vision. This woman has a dream and a vision. And they're all different. Now, that bothers us initially because if we're trying to test these things, it's like, uh, help me to classify it. Can I put these dreams and visions in some category? It would help me if any two are identical. Okay, those match. I've tested them. They match. And we could just kind of categorize them, right? But that's not how God works. Which of your testimonies are the same, right? Is your testimony the same as yours? Your testimony is like your fingerprint, unique. But each gives glory to God, and each testimony comes to the culminating point of professing Christ as Lord. And that's how you test every spirit. If every, any spirit that is from God, the Holy Spirit, except by the Holy Spirit, the Scripture says no one can say Christ is Lord. Does the dream and vision lift up the deity of Christ? Let me tell you some dream and vision stories. This one man was in Africa, Muslim nation. I won't say where, and it's because I don't remember exactly which Muslim nation. 
And there's a video testimony I go watch and see exactly where it was. He's in a Muslim nation in Africa. He's sitting in his room. He's in his chair where he always is. He's sitting in his room. And in the doorway to his room walks Jesus Christ. This is a vision, not in the flesh. Our, 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 the, the captain of our salvation, Jesus Christ, is at the right hand of the Father. This man sees Jesus walk in. He's having a vision. Jesus comes in. He believes immediately that Jesus is Lord. Is that a dream or vision from God? Does it pass the test? It doesn't get any easier than that. Except by the Holy Spirit, no one can say Christ is Lord. Man sees Jesus in image. Man proclaims Jesus is Lord and believes. That dream and vision was definitely from God. Now, here's the other cool thing. Sometimes the dream and vision parrots a scripture. The Muslim or even, or even the Easterner, it's not just exclusive to Muslims anymore. And God says in Acts 2, I will pour out of my spirit on all flesh. All flesh. We're hearing about Koreans having dreams and visions. Africans having dreams and visions. Not just the Muslim people groups. And sometimes the dream and vision, it's an appearing of Christ. Sometimes it is a parroting of the very scriptures the Muslim or the Easterner has never even heard or read. In that dream and vision, he had two of these happen. He saw Jesus, and as Jesus was leaving his room, so he's seated there. As Jesus was leaving his room in this vision, Jesus turned and stopped right in the doorway, looked over his shoulder, and told that new believer, follow me, and turned around and left. How many of you recognize those words? Right? It's one of the most, if not the most, prolific commands of Christ. All over Matthew, all over Mark, all over Luke, all over John. Follow me, Jesus said, to so many different people. And that's a part of my testimony. That's the scripture we usually cover. And so the dreams and visions, if they're parroting the scriptures, they're from God. It's good to be wary. It's good to test every spirit to see if it's from God. But I got news for you. The devil doesn't preach the word. Right? And, and if, if some demon is involved in this, he's making a fine mess of the devil's work. <laughs> right? He's going to have to answer for what he's doing. You know? And so test every spirit to know if it's from God. And if, if it passes the test, it's from God. We need to be careful. If something is from God and it's of the Holy Spirit, we should never say it's of the devil. That's the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. An unforgivable sin. we got to be careful. And so, test every spirit. Know if it's from God. My recommendation is you stay in between 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy. 1 Timothy says, reject the profane and old wives' fables. Right? What is that? Well, guy gets on uh, TV. He says, God told me to buy a $5 million jet. Right? I'm rejecting that. That doesn't jive with the scriptures. It was neither the life pattern of Peter, Paul, any of the apostles, not even Christ, you know. In fact, my wife and I, we drive for ministry, and that helps us to stop and do a lot of ministry opportunities. We look at it and we say, we couldn't do ministry if we had a jet. If someone gave me a jet tomorrow, I would sell it and I would use my car, <laughs> you know. I can't do ministry with a jet. So God told me to buy a $5 million jet. First Timothy, reject the profane and old wives' fables. No, thank you, sir. Right? But Second Timothy warns us that we should not that should we be we should be careful and avoid people who have a form of godliness but deny the power therein that's dangerous having a form of godliness but denying the power therein so be in between first and second timothy hold both scriptures test every spirit to know if it's from god and that power word in second timothy is the same power word we actually see used time and time again by Jesus and the apostles regarding the power of the Holy Spirit. Denying the power therein is not good. That's the same power word that Jesus said to the Sadducees, you know, neither the scriptures nor the power of God. Same power word, Strong's number 1411, if you want to go look it up. And also in Revelation, right? You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. Same word, Strong's number 1411. It's the power of God. Do not deny the power of God. This is happening in our day. Muslims are coming to Christ in droves. We should not deny it. Sitting down on the bench and denying it would be a great mistake. The captain of our salvation is saving many through dreams and visions, and we have a part to play. What happened was 
The angel said, send for Peter who was in Joppa. He will tell you what you must do. And that's exactly what we're hearing today. That same Christian brother who's got his ear to the ground to many different, different channels who told me we're hearing up to or more than 50% of Muslims are getting saved through dreams and visions. That same brother, he goes through the email. He says, but Ali, and I agree with them from what I have heard on my account. I agree with what our brother said. Here's what he said. He said, but Ali, and every story of a dream or a vision, even the ones proclaiming Christ, in every story of what these Muslims are seeing, there's a lowly Christian preaching the gospel. Sometimes it's before the Muslim has the dream or the vision. Sometimes it's after the Muslim has the dream and the vision. How many of you remember Saeed Abedini in Iran? Pastor Saeed, they called him. He got locked up, was put in jail. How many of you remember his story, right? Many were praying for him. But I heard that Obama was praying for him at the time when Obama was president. When you got politicians praying for you, you know it's bad, you know? He was imprisoned in Iran for his faith. He had a dream and a vision. Someone told him he walked into a church in Iran desperate. He was contemplating suicide. As a devout Muslim, he'd come to the end of himself. And he walks into a church in Iran, and one Christian there said to him, Young man, Jesus Christ is Lord. He goes home that night, and he decides in himself he's going to go kill the person who said that. But before he gets the chance, he has a dream and a vision. He wakes up the next day, a Christian, saved. We used to hear that it would take Muslims 20 years to come to faith. My salvation story goes back 20 years. Hearing crew preach the gospel to me, that was in 2003. And people were preaching even before that. And I wouldn't come to faith until 2010. What we're hearing today is that your Muslim neighbor could come to faith overnight if you just preach. Now, it won't happen in your timing. I would have everyone saved tomorrow, right? It won't happen in our timing. It'll happen in God's timing. But what we're hearing is that the timing is quicker and quicker these days. God is using dreams and visions. He has not canceled the Great Commission. Send for Peter who is in Joppa. That's your part that you play. And he is only quickening the Great Commission by dreams and visions in our last days. Some of you are sitting here and you're thinking, you know, I don't deserve to be a Peter. You know what's amazing? I don't think Peter deserved to be a Peter. In fact, I think he felt like that about himself. What it says, the next day as they went on their journey and drew near the city, Peter went up on the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. Now he goes up, he seeks the Lord, he prays. Peter has a vision there. And the vision is about this sheet coming down. And the point ends up being that God has cleansed and is willing to cleanse all flesh that come to him. That's the point, right? And Peter explains it later on to Cornelius. He says, but God has shown me in a vision find it for you you know how this is peter speaking to cornelius you know how unlawful it is for a jewish man to keep company with or go to one of another nation but god has shown me that i should not call any man common or unclean how did god show him through a vision you know what's amazing while i give our brother peter credit for going to on the rooftop to pray I should do that. I don't think I've ever gone to a rooftop to pray, right? He's done more than me there. At the same time, Peter says, God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Well, didn't Jesus already tell him and all the disciples, go ye into all nations and preach the gospel? You see, Peter, while he was chosen and appeared in someone's vision, he was actually, our dear brother was in transgression of sitting and not preaching to to the Gentiles. The story of Cornelius is the first Gentile convert that we see the story expounded upon in the scriptures. Before this, you have the Ethiopian, but he looks like a Jewish convert. He's got the scroll of Isaiah. What's he doing with that? Seems like a Jew to me. But Cornelius is the first unquestionable Gentile convert story we get in Acts. And Peter was sitting. He wasn't even preaching the gospel of the Gentiles. In fact, if you read Acts Acts 10, I so encourage you to read all of Acts 10 when you go home. You'll find that Peter has to defend what God has done in Cornelius' household by saving them. He has to defend what's happened, and he says, I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision. 
you know. And Peter basically tells the Jewish believers, listen, God has given the Holy Spirit to the Gentiles too. You may not feel worthy to appear in someone's dream and vision. I don't know if Peter did either. I don't know if Peter did either. What ends up happening is Peter, uh, Cornelius sends men to Peter. They come and they get Peter. The next day they come to Cornelius's house. Cornelius has gathered all his friends and relatives. And Peter comes in, Cornelius falls at Peter's feet. Peter says, get up, don't do that. And he says, God has shown me I should not call any man common or unclean. And Cornelius says, four days ago I was fasting until this hour, right? He says, a man appeared in bright clothing. That's the angel the scripture told us that appeared to him. And so he says, I've sent for you, Peter, and you've done well to come to us. Now, therefore, we are all assembled to hear all that is commanded you by God. And you can almost hear a pin fall in that room. It says, then Peter opened his mouth and began to speak. This is the story we're hearing in our day. That people like you and me that are afraid to share our faith are appearing in unbelievers' dreams and visions. I was in South Dakota, not far from here. We preached a similar message on dreams and visions. And unbeknownst to me, it had happened in their congregation. Afterward, their pastor came up. He took the microphone when the message was done. And he said, you guys know such and such and so and so, our brothers in the Lord. And the congregation knew those people. They said, yeah, we know them. And he said, well, we were at a restaurant. And what happened was someone kept staring at these two brothers. And after the meal was done, our brothers got up to left. And this person came up to them and said, wait, wait. I saw you in my dream. You're supposed to tell me something important. The two Christians were puzzled. They looked at each other, and then they preached the gospel. That person who'd had the dream heard the gospel, received it, believed, and was saved that day. South Dakota. It's happening in your day, in your city, even in your hometown. Someone here may have seen you in a dream or a vision and is waiting to hear the gospel from you. Be encouraged. I want to give you some, some stories to encourage you. Many of you are sitting there thinking there's no way I would appear to someone in someone's dream or vision. You're thinking, I know my sins. Well, I'm glad that you're humble. It's good to be humbled, especially in light of our sins, and confess it to be cleansed of all unrighteousness. But let me tell you a story of someone who did not des deserve to appear in anyone's dream or vision, but they did. This story uh, happens in my own family, and it happened 20 years ago, I believe it was 1999, we were in high school. My twin sister, who is a Muslim to this day, this is a true story, friends. Well, God, God forbid I say anything untrue from the pulpit. But this is a true story. My own sister, who's a Muslim to this day, right to this moment, she's a Muslim. In 1999, she was sitting in the classroom in home ex class, and all of a sudden she had a vision. I'll sit one seat higher so you can see me. All of a sudden, she had a vision. The room grew with darkness. It was terrifying to her. And the darkness was closing in around her and was beginning to choke her. It was, she said it was like the walls of darkness were closing in and they were going to crush and kill me. Now, I'm going to walk you through this dream and vision. And part of it is to demonstrate to you that you may have appeared in someone's dream and vision. But another one is to help you interpret some of the dreams and visions, you don't see Jesus, and some of them you don't hear the word of God parroted. Some of them are more symbolic. You must know your Bible to understand what it means and to say whether it's true from God or a lie from the devil. You've got to know the word of God. What is darkness? My twin sister saw darkness closing in, surrounding her, crushing her, about to kill her. Darkness is her transgression. Darkness is a symbol in the scriptures of separation from God, right? At the end, those who have not believed will be thrown into outer darkness, right? And regarding sin, men love the darkness for their deeds were wicked, right? You see, you know the scriptures. You go, oh, I think I know what the darkness means here. The Bible says this. So she saw the darkness closing in on her. It was about to crush her. And, and she panics, and it's a vision. She's sitting in the classroom, but she doesn't see that anymore. She sees a well of darkness crushing her. And as the well is coming in, she's in utter terrified panic. And she looks up, and she sees a light at the top of this well that is crushing her. It's a beautiful, 
bright light, and she's, she's reaching. She's like, i got to get over there. i got to get over there. And she can't get out of the darkness. She can't climb out for the life of her because we can't save ourselves, can we? And there's someone in that light. There's someone she sees in that light. And it, this person is reaching down for her, trying to grab her and pull her out of the darkness. She sees the person. She shouts out his name, and she hits the floor passes out. All the kids saw in the classroom was that she looked up and she shouted this person's name and hit the floor. That's all they saw. She was terrified. <laughs> and then shouted this person's name she saw in the light and hit the floor. That period, I was not in that class. I was in another class. People started coming to me. And this is my twin sister. And she was a very good student. She's never on drugs or anything like that. She was number three in her class. And she'd never passed out. This was completely uncharacteristic of my twin sister. Students started coming to me in between the periods in the hallway. Ali, 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 did you feel something like 20 minutes ago? Huh? What? You know, like twin connection. You felt something like 20 minutes ago? No, I didn't feel anything. Why do you? Oh, okay. Well, uh, hey, go see your sister. She's in the nurse's office. What? What are you telling me? What happened to my sister? Go see her. She's okay. Go to the nurse's office. There's my sister sitting on the couch at the nurse's office. She's laying down sitting, and she's coming to, and I'll never forget. She goes, ah, Ali, there you are. There you are. Are you okay? I, uh, you're not going to believe it. i got to tell you what I saw. It was so weird. She was totally shaken by what she had seen. And then she told me this story that I just accounted to you. And the part that none of us understood until today is the, what she saw in the light. I wish I could tell you she saw Jesus Christ, for that would be fitting. And what is the light after all? God is light. In him is no darkness at all. And what about Jesus? Is he light? He is the light of the world. You see, you've got to know the Bible to interpret the dream correctly and to see if it's true or from the devil. What she saw was the light, which is God, and then she saw someone who was in Jesus. And it was a very unworthy person. It was me. She saw me in the light 10 years before I would ever be saved. Maybe 11 or more years. She saw me in the light. It was a dream about the future. Listen, she's my twin. We were born in the same darkness. We were in the same womb, same dark womb. And we came out together. We lived life together. But I got saved in 2010, and she's unsaved right now in, two, in 2019. What she saw in, 2000, in, in 1999, roughly, what she saw was that in the future, her twin brother, who was born in the same sin and darkness as her, would be in the light, in Christ, the light of the world, before her, and that he would be reaching down to pull her out of the darkness. Man, the sinner I was when she saw that dream. I didn't deserve to appear in anybody's dream or vision. Nobody. And I wish she saw Jesus himself. I wish she saw Christ, was saved then, and would preach the gospel to me. But you know what? I'm not the designer of these things. There's someone far greater, incomparable, our Lord Jesus Christ. And he is the orchestrator of such. And I imagine Peter standing before the household of Cornelius might have thought to himself, I don't deserve to preach to these people. I wasn't even preaching and they've seen me. They've seen an angel send for me in a vision. I don't deserve this. I was even disobedient, not speaking to them until this very moment. And in that moment, Peter repented. What did he do? It says, Cornelius said to him, so I sent to you immediately, Peter, and you have done well to come. Now, therefore, we are all present before God to hear all the things commanded you by God. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, In truth, I perceive God shows no partiality, but in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. And you need to preach, friends, just like Peter did with the help of the Holy Spirit and the word of God, the word which God sent to the children of Israel, pe preaching peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. Peter goes on to give a gospel like none other. The Holy Spirit falls. Cornelius' whole household is saved. We're hearing these stories today. God is doing it in your day.
And if you think you're unworthy to be sent for, like Peter was sent for by Cornelius, you can't be any more unworthy than when I was an unsaved Muslim, a chief of sinners. Even as a Christian, I don't think I'm worthy to appear in any vision or dream. It's not about me. It's about the one who has made us worthy by his blood and gives us the gospel to preach. One theologian said he could have written it in the heavens. God formed all these stars, the constellations. He put them all into place. He calls them out each by name. He knows them. He, and he could have written John 3:16 in every language for every tribe, tongue, and nation for all, all the years to come. He could have written it. But he didn't do that. He gave it to you. A theologian once wrote that. He neither wrote it in the heavens nor gave it to the angels to preach. He gives it to you and to me. Just obey. That's all you have to do is obey. He will do all the rest. He'll orchestrate the dream and vision. He'll convict your friends and relatives by the Holy Spirit. And he'll save them as he did us with his death on the cross. He'll do all the rest. We just have to preach. You know, in Iran right now is such a great awakening that they are calling the church in Iran the fastest growing church in the world. It's called the Islamic Republic of Iran. The Islamic Republic. And it's the fastest growing church in the world is there. Right? There's one guy. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? The, the Islamic Republic. Well, really, we hear you're the fastest growing church. <laughs> right? The government is denying it at great cost. They're saying we're still 99.9999999999 Muslim. You know? I don't know about that. I'm hearing that there's some 200,000 underground churches in Iran today. Right? And so here's the story. What happened? God worked and, and labored with power by the Holy Spirit on behalf of those who stood up and preached. One man isn't even preaching on Iranian soil. There are several preaching. One is preaching over the satellite waves. And many Iranians are coming to faith that his preaching too. They're calling him the Billy Graham of Iran. You know what he says? Here's what the humble lowly brother says. He says, don't call me that. He says, right now, anyone can be Billy Graham in Iran. You just have to stand up and preach. And Peter, opening his mouth, began to speak. Right? You may have been in someone's dream and vision. They may be waiting to meet you. But you don't have to wait for that. Sometimes the dream and vision happens after you preach. We're hearing that story too, as we did with Saeed Abedini. And Nabil Qureshi, he, got, he had the dream and vision after someone was sharing the gospel with him continually. God is the orchestrator of such. Let's close in prayer. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you. Lord, I thank you for your holiness and your power. Thank you for your Holy Spirit that was given to Peter, given to men, mere men and women to preach. Lord, you're a God of uncomparable grace unmatchable grace, unmerited favor that the greatest labor this side of heaven is not even given to angels, neither cherubim or seraphim, none of them. It's given to us, given to us. Lord, of this we're unworthy, we confess. We thank you for your grace that you've given us this. Not only the Holy Spirit, the treasure in these earthenware vessels, these clay jars of our bodies with your Holy Spirit, but a gospel, a purpose, and a message to preach. And today, as the captain of our salvation, you're not sitting down. You're playing on the field like nobody's business, scoring left, right, and center, as I'm hearing so many are being saved. And you're even doing it, even through dreams and visions but never discarding our part. Thank you, Lord, for this. Lord, give us boldness to speak to our neighbors, to our strangers, to people who have come from afar off, that we may see them be brought near by the blood of Christ, as Ephesians tells us. Help us to preach. In Jesus' name.
Uh, dear brethren, one more thing that I forgot to share, and as you leave here, I think it'll really fill your hearts with joy. My sister had that dream and vision, and we think it was 1999. I realized what I expounded to you by the scriptures in the last year or two, and I realized, oh, my own family, my sister has had a dream. I need to go tell her what this means because no one back then understood it. We went to knock on her door. I went to knock on her door when she was home for the holidays on the East Coast, and she was asleep. Her, room, her bedroom, the lights were off. She was asleep, so I said, okay, I'll wait, maybe tomorrow. Before I ever got the chance to tell her about her dream and vision, my wife came to me and said, guess what? I said, what? She said, your sister just started coming to me on her own, asking me about the dream and vision she had 20 years ago. They don't forget if it's from God. And neither will your neighbor forget if it's from God. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Thanks so much for listening to this week's sermon. We hope you were enriched and encouraged. If you have questions about Christ or church or would like more information, visit our website at hendersonmbchurch.com or email me directly at luke at hendersonmbchurch.com. We hope you have a fantastic week. Take care and God bless.